What is going on you guys and welcome back to episode 5 of our portfolio update series. This is the series where my father and I are building a portfolio live for you guys to follow along with one on quest trade one on wealth simple trade what's going on dad hey Brian, doing well good to see you online i wish you were here in person like you were last weekend it was so nice to see you guys but uh, this is second best i guess in where we're at yeah exactly i uh, hope yeah. we'll be back up to visit soon maybe you'll come down here to the mainland but i don't know what type of weather you're having up, up there but we, <laughs> we got a heat dome yeah, we got a heat wave going through here. It'd be nice to go jump in heat the water dome. And, and cool yourself off. Heat. It's a dome. I've heard that. Yeah. I have no idea what a heat dome is, but apparently it's supposed to be pretty darn hot where we are. So Probably like a bubble of heat, I'm guessing. A dome type. That makes sense. <laughs> and we have Montreal going to the Stanley Cup as some current events. There's some crazy stuff going on over there. But um, I, don't, yeah. I don't know if you even know this, but Montreal is probably my least favorite NFL NHL team. Uh, oh yeah, the Habs. Oh, yeah. Well, it goes back a long ways, but I was a big Bruins fan back back in the day, and the Habs were their arch enemy. And so, yeah, it was. Uh, it's. Uh, I've held it over. I should. I should let go of it. I guess all these years later. Let go of it. Let go of it. We'll, we'll help support and represent. <laughs> but let. What's up? <laughs> no, you go ahead. Say, I was gonna say Johnny Busick is retired, so uh, I, I'm not worried anymore. I have no clue who that is, but let's dive on into well. our review today guys um if you enjoy these by the way as always drop a quick thumbs up don't forget our academy is down below but we're gonna start as we do with every review giving you guys an update of the portfolios currently we have quest trade sitting at twenty one thousand and two hundred and seventy one dollars these are all in canadian dollars you'll see highlighted in the red box towards the top right i did just highlight a couple of things such as our sector allocation or i should say our asset allocation You'll know we still have a significant chunk in cash, 30% uh, in cash with some ETFs making up our fixed income. We're going to dive into that in a second. To tally over to our holdings, they are starting to expand slowly and steadily. As a quick review, we have Apple up 4.71%. CHB we're going to talk about later in this video. We have Disney up 2.41%. Our top performer so far has been Google up just shy of 10%. And then we have three stocks in the red, uh, not by too much, but that would be Lockheed Martin, Pfizer, and Tencent. To hover over to our Wealth Simple Trade portfolio, this is our dividend-focused, uh, primarily dividend-focused Canadian portfolio. We're sitting at a balance of $20,000, $20,998. So just shy, we're down about a dollar, a dollar and a half or so since we opened this account. To look at the actual holdings, we have Bell Canada up 2.3%, Clorox down 2%, CNR, funny enough, this was actually one of our best performers, if you recall, uh, since our last review a couple weeks back. This one is now flat as it has pulled back. Enbridge up 5.5%, 5.2%, Kirkland Lake down 5%, uh, Manulife down 3%, MUB, which we'll talk about in a moment, and then Q-Tip, which are a couple of our ETF returns and dead before we dive any further we did actually prepare a little chart that i'll have up on the screen here and it talks about the time diversification and the volatility of returns what do you have to say about this well this is one of the charts that i i feel really is uh the one of the strongest ways of emphasizing when you're when you have an investment portfolio in particular but when you're building a portfolio in the short term and i think we've been doing this maybe is it two months, almost two months, I think, since we had this portfolio. So, you know, we're going through what's up, what's down. And f 
for to the large extent, I would almost disregard those, whether they're positive or whether they're negative, just because in the short term, so many different things can happen. And what this chart really emphasizes, if we look at the first column, it shows in one year, so that the, the greenish uh, box are uh, stocks, the S&P 500, uh, bonds are represented by the blue, and then a 50-50 split portfolio is represented by the gray box. And so it's saying within, you know, in the time period studied here, within a one year time period, the stocks performed a high of 47% and they were down 39% as the worst performing one year time period. And these are rolling, uh, rolling time periods. Uh, bonds were up 43% at the best and down 8% and then a balanced portfolio that 50-50 mix best year 33% uh, positive worst year 15% negative and that kind of gives you an idea of the difference between how stocks you'll see are much more volatile in the short term bonds somewhere you know less volatile and then you have the mix uh, of those what is really mm -hmm. important to me you look down to the right of that chart and you'll see the further you go out 5 year 10 year or 20 year time period how that number converges and mm -hmm. so the, the, the sort of the idea is and we always talk about buying and holding for the long term so let's just go right to the right side and if you look at a 20-year time period and that's a long way to think out but if you look at that you'll see how tight those ranges are uh equities yes has has outperformed and been the top performer at 17 percent positive with a with a worst 20-year rolling time period of six percent bonds 12 percent up the worst rolling is one and you see that 50 50 mix 14 percent uh, as the best performing and 5% as the, as the lowest. And so when you build a portfolio, we're just looking at having that mix. You could go all in and hey, if you've got the, the uh, inner fortitude to ride out all the ups and downs over a 20 year time period, mathematically you'll come out further ahead by uh, equities. But as we've spoken about so many times, the vast majority of investors don't have that, uh, you know, the ability to ride those really horrible waves out. So uh, we advocate a balanced portfolio. That's what we're building here. So this is, I think, just a tool that kind of shows you a vision beyond the two months that we've been doing this so far. Mm -hmm. And I think what it does is it really sets the expectation right off the bat that, like you said, we're two months in. This is explaining why certain stocks are up, why certain stocks are down. We come in with the expectation that our equities are going to do all sorts of things over the yeah. short term. And by short term, we could say a year out maybe even further would be considered short term. Mm. That said, we, um, what was I gonna say? I had a, something to say and then I forgot. Something brilliant. Um, <laughs> something brilliant and it just, it just fled my mind. Well, it well was, let me just say, and I'm a, I'm a little bit surprised yeah. because of how valued, how highly valued the markets are right now. I'm surprised that we don't have more. Is that what you were gonna say? Mm -hmm. uh, no, that was not what I was gonna say. Numbers. but. What I was gonna say was that it's funny within certain comments and, and students even, people that bring up to us, they'll say, great pick with you know Alibaba stock, great right. pick with this stock, it's up 5% since you bought, bought it last week. Right, and right. what I would say to them and what I do say to them is that don't congratulate us on the good picks, like even a Google, like is up 10% for us. Don't congratulate us on that pick over a short period. Mm -hmm. The same way we wouldn't say if a stock is down 7%, there's no difference to us over the short term. In five, 10, 15 years, if you wanna look back and congratulate us on the picks, that's something we'd be willing to accept. But over this one year time period, whether we're up, whether we're down, it's rather irrelevant, at least in our opinion, I'd say. I would say if you if you place your Stanley Cup bet on the Habs and they win game one, don't go cash the check because it's a seven game series. Same idea here. Don't congratulate us because we picked a stock that went up in two months or don't you know write us off because we picked a stock that went down. That's exactly what you would expect. We're in inning number one of this long, long game. Inning Let's move one. on to 
Yeah, let's let's move along into our question and answer segment of the video. I, I'm just seeing here my Wi-Fi connection looks bad again, but hopefully, hopefully this is good. What, we, what can we do? Let's start off with a question from Sina. Sina comments, could you explain why you chose Pfizer PFE instead of mRNA Moderna, given Moderna is more undervalued right now? Hope to understand. Thanks uh, from Sina. Yeah, thank you, Sina, for that question. And uh, whenever we do sort of we highlight a stock, there's usually a comment or two that's saying, well, what about this? Or, you know, you you bought BCE, why not Talus? Or you bought Kirkland, why not um, Barrick? Uh, There's legitimate questions and you're always looking at comparing and picking what you feel is the best uh, stock to buy at the time. Or in, in a lot of cases, it's almost like a coin flip. Uh, a lot of those companies will perform very much in, in, in line. I don't see Pfizer and Moderna as being one of those. I see um, Pfizer being a proven company with regular predictable revenues uh, with a great runway ahead. Moderna, um, I'm going to guess that up until a year ago, a lot of people didn't even hadn't heard of Moderna and didn't know that the company existed. And if you could throw the vaccine, in the right? chart, the, the, uh, the financials, mm-hmm. we're not going to get too deep into it, but the, the first thing that we look at when we're looking at a company is what is the predictability? And if we look back at their financials over the last five years, we can see um, revenues. Just look at the top line here with revenues. Uh, they, they went from 2016 to 2017. There was a, a really good increase in revenues, but then they were declining, you know, 34% down, 50, 55% down. If we look at the net income, uh, you know, the company has just lost money year after year after year until COVID hit. And then, of course, mm-hmm. they, you know, they've had a, a wonderful bump up. If this company had experienced that boost because of COVID, like so many uh, uh, medical companies have, then then I would say, hey, maybe it's a, uh, maybe this has taken them to the next level. I'm certainly not convinced. I'm not sure what you think that you know. Once once we do get through this, uh, you know, I, I think we're going to see Moderna sort of fall back to where they were. Will this be sort of a a, a foundation that they can build on? Quite possibly. Uh, for me, it's just too unpredictable to put it into a portfolio. When we're looking at, we just talked about 5, 10, 15, 20 years. I don't know if this company will be producing revenues in 20 years. I, Pfizer, I believe, will. Right. It's just a deeper pipeline, a proven pipeline, as you mentioned. And, you know, if Moderna wasn't posting these very spectacular ter- returns that we saw through the COVID pandemic, mm-hmm. I'd be certain that we wouldn't be getting these types of comments. But I think it's a very short-sighted uh, outlook. And again, not to say anything poor about Cena's opinion here. It may be a phenomenal stock to own, but it's just our opinion that we'd rather lean towards more of a proven company. So I think that does kind of summarize up that question. And in fairness to Sina, I I think if she posted the question just at large, you know, what what should I buy? What's better? A lot of people are going to say, oh, look at what Moderna's done. Like that's the company. Exactly. Way more potential. And and that's what we're trying to do with this channel is to say you you sometimes just have to disregard those short term spikes because we're not buying things for the short term. We're not trading. We're investing. Amen. Amen to that. Uh, question number two comes in from Traveling Mojo, longtime subscriber and investor. This is a great series. Bring your father onto the channel with his wealth of experience, blah, 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 blah. Here is a question I find myself with a dilemma often. How much is too much when it comes to how many positions to hold in your portfolio? I've always heard that holding 20 stocks is the maximum that one should hold. There's a broad scope of investors such as Charlie Munger, who say three to five stocks, much more concentrated. Then you have other investors saying 100 stocks plus. I find I will always have around 25. What is your opinion on stocks 
a person should hold. Vic, uh, big supporter of the channel as well, had a very similar question saying, let's agree on a limit to holdings, 20 sounds fair. What are our plans for this portfolio in terms of the number of stocks we aim to hold in the portfolio? I like these questions and I hadn't, mm -hmm. uh, I, I hadn't thought of a specific number, although traditionally when I manage portfolios, I, the number comes in somewhere around 30. And uh, I really look to get sufficient diversification within the portfolio. Now, um, there is, you know, you look at the Charlie Munger, I, I think he said three to five or like a, a smaller number. Now, That's what it if, says here, yeah. If Berkshire Hathaway is one of those, well, you have a huge amount of diversification beneath that one name, within, right? Right. Uh, within that, so that might be a little bit misleading. One of the things we always say is if you're going to be managing your own money or even trying to understand what you own, you have to be able to have a manageable number, 100. I mean, I, I don't want to, I don't think. Uh, that's, unma that's unmanageable unless you have a team of, if you have a team of analysts working for you and you're managing a fund and you have experts in mm -hmm. each area that can worry about that, okay, go 100 plus. But for a team of two here, 100 is just, that's far too much. We can agree on that. 20, I, I, th I could see managing a portfolio of 20. Uh, mm -hmm. However, you know, generally you look at there's, there's 11 major sectors and we like eventually to have exposure to all of those at some point. You know, the, the weight you put in each sector will vary from time mm -hmm. to time depending mm -hmm. on what's happening in the economy, etc. But even if you look at, let's take those 11 sectors and you want to have two holdings in each. Well, that's 22 companies right there, not including bonds or, or, or any other holdings you might have. Uh, there's, it's often where I would want to have, say, three financial companies or four mm -hmm. consumer staples companies. And so almost by definition, if you're going to have that and cover off the, sec the sectors, uh, you, you're going to, it's going to be somewhere closer to the, the 30. Uh, I, I think that's a manageable number. That's what, again, just sort of, you know, that's the way I've, I've managed money for years and years. I'm, it's a yeah. comfort zone for me. And I think it's, it's something you can keep on, keep up to date with. Uh I like what you just ended there with that. It's a comfort zone for you because this mm. is going to be an age old debate. As you can see, there are very successful investors that like holding more, very successful investors that like holding less. And you could make a very fair argument that keeping it concentrated and making these infrequent bets is the way to outperform. But again, we are building a balanced portfolio that hopefully can instruct the masses on what right. to do. and. If the wisdom from certain investors say, keep it concentrated, keep it infrequent, keep it to your you know big bets, that may not be the best uh, principle to follow for everybody out there. In fact, that may be for a very unique type of person. So you need to find that comfort zone within yourself. And for us, it, it falls between, let's say in your case, the 30 uh, stock range. Yeah, and I think if you look at it, sort of a traditional bell curve, you're always going to have those outliers. And mm -hmm. I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong. If you if you have the capability of, you know, staying so close to three or four or five companies and managing those, or if you have the capability of going up to 40 stocks, um, you know, power to you. The, what we're doing here, we're looking at the masses and trying to teach as many people as we as we possibly can how to effectively manage a portfolio. You take that base and then you can tweak it to whatever is more suitable to you. Mm -hmm. For the masses, I certainly, um, 20 would be a minimum, but certainly wouldn't be a maximum. For sure. Let's move on to our final question for today. Thank you guys for all the questions, by the way. As always, leave them down below if you guys would like us to answer some more. This question comes from Dale Zach. Question, if you're investing $1,000 per month, how do you decide whether to A, buy new stocks from your watch list, versus B, 
add additional shares to your existing portfolio of stocks. And uh, as we get into our next segment of this video, we're going to share with you, we actually did a little bit of both. We added a, we added a new stock and we quote unquote average down on a position. And to just say a quick word, I think, um, actually, why don't you take it away dad? And I'll just chime in after buy new stocks or add to existing ones. Depends on when that thousand dollars comes into the portfolio. Every time new money comes in and you know, when I was working in the business, a very common question is someone came into money um, and said, Oh, I've sold the house and it closes in two months. What are we going to buy with that? My answer would be unequivocally, well, we'll make that decision Mm -hmm. when the time comes because the market, you know, we looked earlier how in the short term, so much can happen. Uh, The idea Mm -hmm. is you just want to buy uh, companies at the best value that you can and that can change in the course of a week or a month or certainly over a few months doesn't mean that if you bought a company today and then it, you know it, you shouldn't but you might as well optimize what you can so to me when the money comes into the portfolio that's when you make the decision and often if you're month if you're investing on a monthly basis once the portfolio is built up i don't believe you have to buy something every month i mean sometimes the mm-hmm. markets just don't, aren't giving you those opportunities so it's okay to sit build up that cash knowing that that opportunity will come, then you've got a little bit more you know, gunpowder to, to take a shot once you, know, once you do see a bit of a correction, either on mass in the market or some names that are on that watch list, um, yeah. as was mentioned, where you say, ah, now there's a good time to add that to the portfolio. So I don't yeah. think there's a, Be- well, I, there, there isn't a this or that. It's depending on what's happening on that day that the money comes in. Agreed. People, especially when they're new to investing, once that money and the cash hits their account, there's no patience whatsoever. It's, I need to find where to put this. And hey, if that's what you want to do, uh, you know, it's that's part of learning. That's part of getting started. I think you do have to be patient, especially given a market that we're in right now in which we would feel being a little defensive, um, as you'll see by our purchases coming up, may make some sense. There's nothing wrong with keeping a little bit on the sidelines. That's different from straight up timing the market and leaving all your cash on the side it's just being more selective with what you purchase. And as you started that off, the segment off with dad, it's about surveying the options and finding what's the best value. If that means averaging down on a position that you're feeling is now offering an even greater value, or if there's a brand new stock out there that is uh, offering far more value than what you have in your portfolio, you need to make that decision by just surveying the options. And of course you could factor in like how your portfolio is, maybe your portfolio already has 30 stocks, well, maybe you don't want to go out and buy too many more. Um, if you, it's going to be unmanageable in that case. Maybe then you decide to just average down. There's many factors that come into it, but at the end of the day, it's it's where's the value uh, opportunity. That's a great point because the decision. Uh, one of the things to factor in is: Are you starting and building a portfolio, or if you have a fully invested portfolio? Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, this is something I heard all the time. Oh, I heard of this stock. I want to add it to my portfolio. And that's then you do end up with 40 or 50 or 60 companies all representing a small little chunk of your portfolio that you long forgot about because four yeah. months ago you read an article. So a uh, very good point is uh, another option when the money comes in or you're doing a rebalancing is do you take something out, take a position out of the portfolio and replace it with something that's offering better value? Uh, great mm-hmm. point on that, Brandon. I thought of something this past week and you touched on it when you started the answer to this question. And it's really, uh, it's kind of sad in a way because uh, we love investing. We've been doing it for so many years and it's just kind of in our blood now. But I believe investing should not be exciting. <laughs> and and I'll contrast that. I get it. Mm-hmm. When you're learning, everything's exciting when you're learning something new. Uh, and I would say take that excitement and learn about investing 
but it doesn't mean that you need to take every dollar that comes in and have it invested at all times uh, because that excitement can cause you, often does cause you to make decisions based on, I, I want to do something, this is cool, um, without looking at the longer term, uh, taking a longer term viewpoint on it. So that's just something I thought about actually this past mm -hmm. week um, is it doesn't have to be exciting. You don't really want it to be too mm -hmm. boring either, but somewhere mm -hmm. in between. Yeah. Totally. Hey everybody, it's Brandon here. I'd like to interrupt today's episode very briefly to remind you that if you're looking for more training in the Canadian stock market, don't hesitate to check out our Investing Academy. You can join our private membership group and get access to our top stock picks, trade calls, portfolio insights, and a variety of tools that are helping our members all across the country better their own investing journeys. All it takes is one great stock idea or tip, and that alone can cover years and years of your subscription to our membership group. If you're looking for some additional video training to broaden your knowledge and expand your understanding of the stock market in Canada, we do of course offer a fully video online training program where you can learn from the comfort of your home amongst a variety of students across the country. Both of these products can be found at www.theinvestingacademy.ca where you can sign up for them online or schedule a call with us to learn more. Now back to our scheduled episode. Let's move on to the next section of our uh, segment here, or the next segment of our presentation. And this is going to be stocks that we've added since the last update. And just as a reminder, you can join our private membership group down below. If that's something you're interested in, you get live updates. And I know we're a, little, we're a week behind this update because we had Father's Day and whatnot, but we're going to try to try to keep consistent every uh, two weeks, a couple times a month. That said, if you want the live updates, that's down below. I'll start off by taking the lead on the Manulife purchase that we made. We sure. bought tw 20 additional shares of Manulife Financial. And this was in our Wealth Simple Trade account. We had already owned shares of Manulife. And when I did a scan of the portfolio, Manulife was one of the companies that was down the most. And I believe it was down about 8.9%. So let's call it 9% since we made our first initial purchase which i know for a lot of investors would be like oh my god i just we blew we messed up we're uh, yeah. we suck this or that and uh that's actually not the case whatsoever this is a great example of how when you are building into positions which we are every position in our portfolio right now is not at its desired weight we are easing into it this goes to show the importance of sectioning out your purchases and investing an initial bit up front giving the market some time to do what it does. And in this case, Manulife dropped 9%. We went in and added an additional 20 shares at $23.84. And actually, as I was looking at earlier, um, because we averaged down a little bit, as the stock picked back up, now we're down, um, I'll pop it up on the screen for you guys, but I think we're down somewhere along the lines of 3%. So we've made up basically half of our loss, more than half, because we were able to buy at a lower price. And that's really the name of the game of investing. Again, we're not doing this for a one month period or for a one year period. We want shares to come lower and lower and lower so that we can buy and accumulate at a better price. Uh, when I bought more Manulife, you know, a week or two ago, whenever it was, uh, we got an even better yield at 4.7%. And that's one of the benefits you get as these shares come down. So Manulife was our one actual equity position. We did actually add a couple of fixed income holdings and Dad, I'll let you take that away. Um, I'll pop up the the appropriate charts uh, when it sure, comes. I to get to talk about the boring fixed income, but I've actually Makes been pretty sense. impressed. 
um, usually, you know, it's pretty hard if you scan YouTube, I think, to uh, find like, oh, what bond fund should I buy or what bonds should I buy? Because it's just not a topic that's as sexy and as exciting as, as equities, obviously. That yep. said, and I think we touched on this on the last update where we had added our first uh, tranche of fixed income. I think we bought TIP, uh, or Q-TIP, um, mm -hmm. either one or two updates ago. And I mean, I can't emphasize this enough, especially in the heady markets that we're seeing right now. In most cases, unless you are, unless you have just nerves of steel and the education to, and the discipline to, to manage that, we do believe that fixed income should be a part of your overall portfolio. And so a couple, a couple of episodes ago, we introduced the inflation adjusted uh, fixed income. Now they're very specific. Uh, what a lot of people don't realize, people think of bonds as just one thing, just like mm -hmm. stocks as one thing. Stocks aren't one thing. Everybody knows how different companies uh, behave differently in different sectors at various times of the economic cycle. Fixed income is very much the same. There's an incredible amount of diversity within the fixed income arena. So we're not right now just going out willy-nilly and buying bonds for the sake of buying bonds. Uh, we bought the inflation adjusted because there's a lot of inflationary pressure out there. So as a hedge against that, we thought that would be mm -hmm. appropriate. Um, right now, uh, what we added to the portfolio this past week, we added two uh, or the last, sorry, since the last update, we added a mm. couple of fixed income holdings, like you say, uh, and they're both uh, ETFs. Quick word on that. Um, back in the day, uh, I, I would go out for clients and myself and buy individual bonds. Um, you don't see much of that today. Even in the professional environment, ETFs are widely used to hold fixed income. And it's really practically unmanageable for most offices to go out and you know buy 30 or 40 bonds in a portfolio. It used to be something that you did, uh, but now you buy one ETF and you end up with you know, and typically hundreds of different bonds that the professionals mm -hmm. uh, go out and manage on your behalf. So that's what we're using and I've used uh, ETFs for fixed income uh, portions of the portfolios for a number of years now. The first company that we bought was uh, MUB and we bought this in the Wealth Simple portfolio. Yeah, correct. Um, yeah, so MUB is a McKenzie, inve uh, McKenzie Investments Fund. And one of the things I like most about uh, MUB is just its diversity. So it's the McKenzie Unconstrained Bond Fund. I think they call it the McKenzie Unconstrained Fixed Income Fund. Um, can't remember exactly what the specific name is. But the yeah, fund tomatoes, manager... Tomatoes. Sorry? I said tomatoes, tomatoes, either tomatoes, either. Tomatoes, tomatoes. Yeah, unconstrained, exactly. constrained. Yeah, yeah. MUB is the ticker on it. And right now, the port, the the company or the portfolio is a fairly highly um, leveraged up or fairly highly positioned in corporate bonds. We feel that corporate bonds is the place you want to be right now. And we're going to talk in this this episode today about uh, high yield bonds. The nuts and the bolts. High yield bonds have a higher risk associated to them. There's more volatility than going uh, and buying Government of Canada bonds, which is the traditional. Mm -hmm. Uh, bond fund, but they do definitely offer more opportunity, more growth, and you'll see the yields on these right now is far what you would exceed if you just went out and bought a you know ten year Government of Canada bond. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm looking today to add like M MUB fund is yielding three point two three percent, just FYI, mm -hmm. and the next one that you'll be talking about is yielding over five percent. So, just to give the give some perspective. Right, and if you're if you have been looking at, at bond funds, you know you're going to see yields down in the one two percent. One point uh, so, exactly. So why do you do this? Well, you would do this obviously to capture the extra yield, understanding that there's a commensurate commensurate amount of risk that comes with that. 
with high yield bonds, interestingly, and I think we have a couple of charts prepared that we can show back and look at high yield bonds are quite unique. They're very, they're quite uncorrelated to the traditional bond funds. They act very much more like an equity than they do uh, to a traditional fixed income uh, holding. And what I like most about high yield bonds is when the markets do correct, you're going to see them correct along with the equity markets, but typically you have you capture less of the downside. So I'll make up some numbers, but if, if the equity markets drops 15%, you would expect high yield bonds to drop 10. Equity markets drop 30, you might expect the high yield bonds to drop 20. So there is downside there for sure. But when the recovery comes along, you often see equity-like returns from these high-yield bonds. You're not going to see that from traditional you know, government bonds. So in the environment we're in right now, where we are expecting the markets to pull back at some point, and heck, you know, we're in the summer months right now, and traditionally summer months are volatile, and we're coming up to you know, gee, July, August, September, October. Uh, so I expect mm -hmm. we will see pullbacks. Holding these equities in the meantime will give us more return than just owning fixed income. And then we're going to see a, a drop when the markets do drop, because it's not mm -hmm. if, it's when, and then a, a nice recovery. And I think if we look back at some of the, the periods of these charts that we have, you'll be able to see the, you know, the downside being less and the upside being equivalent to the equity market. So um, just from an overall perspective, that's why we have chosen to add these. these you know, I've talked a little bit about MUB. CHB in particular is the iShares US High Yield Fixed Income Fund. And uh, again, for the same reasons, uh, they aren't. They don't have the diversity. They don't have the the, the uh, ability to go out and change and have the flexibility that the unconstrained bond uh, fund. I, I don't. I don't think you specifically mentioned. Um, mm. Maybe you did, and I just didn't didn't hear it. But yeah, yeah, the unconstrained bond fund. The the managers of those funds or the ones in charge. They do have a lot of flexibility with where they invest. Did you mention that or no? I think I did. If I didn't, it was in my maybe head. Maybe you did. Maybe you did. Yeah, but, my uh, apologies, but in, in case you didn't mention it, because yeah, um, I don't know if you did, they do have some pretty wide discretion, hence the name, the unconstrained bond fund. They can essentially yeah. uh, go out and seek where they where they feel fit. Sorry, you can head back to uh, CHB no, now, that, which is a more focused fund. Well, yeah, and if I and if I did mention that, that, that's one of the primary reasons I like it. And so when you look back at snapshots of how the funds, you know, right now I mentioned they have high corporate bonds. Well, that could be floating floating rate bonds, or you know, they, they'll change it depending on what they see happening in the you know, or short term or long term. The uh, right. CHB is going to be always high yield. Uh, I think they they match up to like one of the Barclays high yield index funds, and so much more specific. I would expect more risk because of the lack of flexibility. That's why we put it into the Quest Trade portfolio, which mm -hmm. if you've been following the, the series, you know that that's, the Quest Trade is more growth oriented. So we're accepting more risk there. The Wealth Simple is a little bit um, less uh, volatile or less you know, growth oriented, more balanced. And so mm -hmm. I put the MUB, which should be statistically a little less volatile than CHB. So you know, trying to wrap that mm -hmm. up. Um, Fixed income, important part of the portfolio, not just you know any old fixed income. Right now we have inflation protected and we have high yield. We feel that those are the best fixed income spaces to be in right now. And you know as the markets change, as the new numbers come out, you know we might make some adjustments. In fact, at some point we will make adjustments. We will, certainly. Yeah. yeah, certainly, certainly. And um, just FYI, both of the MERs, there are fees associated with those funds. Mm -hmm. Both of them sit at 0.55%. And again, as we touched on before, a fee we are well happy to pay because we're not the ones that want to go out and buy uh, individual bonds and 
these guys are the experts in their field there that's a fee we feel is well worth paying just fi very good point and yeah and if you're buying a traditional bond fund which is paying you know one or one and a half percent right now that 55 basis points is a big chunk but when you're generating mm -hmm. the three, four, five, uh, yeah, like you say, we feel that there is definitely value to paying the fund managers that to go out and make these decisions in this space. For sure. Well, let's get towards wrapping up this video and I wanna show on the screen for you guys now just a uh, combined view of our overall portfolio. This is one of our sheets that we use just to get a top level picture of what we're looking at. Some notable things that stick out to me is that again, on the far right side where you see the total number of holdings, obviously other than cash, we have Google, uh, Alphabet as our largest position. You do see some of these uh, ETFs, bond ETFs starting to gain some, some significant size in our portfolio, which is what we're building towards. You will note that we're still significantly in cash, right? 39% in cash from a top-down level um, I'm liking what I'm seeing across the sector allocations. On the left-hand side of the page, we have some nice diversity starting to form within different areas of the market. Even our asset allocation from a geographical standpoint, we got our US equities technically at the largest component, excluding cash. Canadian equities, I do feel we could bump up international equities. And um, that's an area that I've been looking very, very heavily into BABA. I've been buying BABA personally for my portfolio. Uh, 10 cents, another stock that has come down since we purchased it. And um, I, we'll discuss this obviously off camera and over before our next review, but I would love to see some bumps up in those areas as I'm seeing some nice uh, opportunity. But yeah, overall, I'd say the, the it's starting to look pretty good. Um, it, it's starting to look like a portfolio and it's uh, yeah. kind of the part of the process. We do have a couple of sectors that we don't have exposure to uh, yet. Um, eventually we'll work in there. And, and I think the other thing I'd like to do is, is just add some more depth to some of the sectors specifically. I mean, I, I think the core of most people's portfolios should be consumer staples. These are the companies that are there, you know, through thick and thin. Yes, they have downside uh, risk, of course, but, um, you know, where we're at in the markets, I feel. So I, I think we'll add some depth there as well uh, mm -hmm. in the coming probably weeks. Uh, but for now, like you say, we're starting to see that diversification more focused, uh, a more focused look on the on the uh, Quest Trade account, uh, and more diversification on the on the Well Simple. So, hopefully, yeah. this is giving you uh, some ideas as to you know the thought process of going behind and starting from scratch. And I guess uh, soon we'll have another couple, another thousand going into each of the portfolios that will start the next process of looking at where we would put that money. Absolutely, that will be in um, yeah, in just a, a few days. So. We got our yeah, a week or so. We got our contributions coming in. Um, I'm getting a quick phone call here, Dad. One sec. Important one. Sorry. That's right. Just pick up. We got a deliver. We had a delivery. A delivery coming uh, our way. Another animal. Another animal. No. <laughs> okay. Um, where 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 are we? Um, getting back to this in our wrapping up. I, I like you said. I hope that we are displaying not only how to build a portfolio, but also the the types of factors we, you know, factor in right about where we are in the market and i think i might even title this video our defensive you know look or our defensive approach on the yeah. market seeing how we have these inflationary fears seeing how we are at all-time highs and it's not necessarily a cheap stock market to be in and you look at hopefully what the viewers are doing is they're you know actually uh taking these presentations and videos and digging a step deeper and saying well they still are 40 percent cash Wow, they've added a little bit here, a little bit here in these safer areas. There's a reason why we're doing that, right? Um, it's if we were building a portfolio 
you know, in a separate time period, we may construct it very differently, but we're taking in the factors that are present and building a portfolio as such. And hopefully we're able to display that too, that we are taking somewhat of a defensive approach at the given point. Well, and I will throw this out there and I'm willing to go out on a limb and there, you, you can look at the raw numbers and just say, okay, in our opinion, the markets are highly valued. Now that can continue for a long time, but having been doing this for 25 years plus and studying the people who've done it for decades prior to that, yeah. mm-hmm. um, there's, you, there's always that disconnect between the numbers and your gut. And right now my gut is more in line with, uh, I, I don't think we should be too risky right now. I th- I, I'm going to say over the next four months, there will be some good opportunities that are presented. And Ooh, hot take. That's you, a hot take. Uh, yeah, hot take. Let's uh, mark 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 the date, and we'll look at that probably in September. Uh, but but you know, I, I I just know this is the way the cycle works. You know, and you always hear this. You know, sell in May, go away. And I'm not an advocate at all of selling in May, but the numbers uh, bear out that the returns from May through October ish are traditionally lower. The you know the trading traditionally is thinner. The volumes are thinner. That leads to more volatility and. And you said earlier, um, I think uh, you, you said we like it when stocks go down. And mm-hmm. I don't know if I like it, but I accept it. And we like it in it, especially as we're be, as we're building the portfolio. So I mean, I love it when stocks go up. You buy a stock and it goes up, no question about it. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm kind, you know, I, I kind of licking my lips here, thinking that there will be some great opportunities that present themselves in the coming months. I mean, what day? I have no idea. And I could be wrong on that. Like, hey, let, let, maybe make a note of this and we'll check back in. I'm thinking October, you know, usually we've gone through the rough patches by then. Uh, but let's let's look back and see. And if I'm wrong, you know, we're still, wherever we're at, 60% of the portfolio invested. That will continue mm-hmm. to come along. I guarantee there will be some opportunities that arise during the summer, just maybe not the market uh, on mass. But I wouldn't be surprised if that happens as well. So defensive, that's what we're, we're positioned, we're participating, but we're not placing, you know, putting all our chips on the table uh, at this moment. Correct. Well, hey, that's all. That is it. Wrap it up. Because if you guys, um, we'd love to hear from you guys down below, whether you agree with our thoughts, whether you're following a similar strategy, whether you disagree, and um, we should be going heavier right now. Like we're all ears and we read all the comments. So yeah, drop us a line down below. If you did enjoy today's video, we will wrap up by saying, please do drop a quick thumbs up. That is free to do. It helps the channel so much. It's just a great way of showing your support. If you're not already subscribed and you're watching this video, uh, this series for the first time, you can go back and watch all the previous ones from when we started this and put our first deposit in to where we are today. And we're gonna continue doing this as long as we can. So definitely make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell for notifications. That way you know when we have these posts. And then last but not least, do check out our investing academy. If you're looking for courses and training in the stock market in Canada, we focus on Canadians. We have a link down below, which you can learn all about that. Again, you can follow with our trades as they happen live. Uh, obviously you do your own due diligence and research, but at least you can see what we're doing uh, in a timely fashion. We do also have training courses, but I think that will really sum up this uh, episode, that episode five, uh, unless you have any final thoughts. No, not really. I'm just going to go jump in the jump in the water when when this is done because it is hot and uh, look forward to to just enjoying the day and and yeah, thank you everybody for watching and yeah, our goal here is to give you tips and um, just you take it and run with it and look forward to to the next version of this whenever it's 
you know, a couple of weeks, three weeks. I'm not sure. We don't really have it in stone. Depending we'll try. On what's we'll try a couple of weeks. We were, we were just a little. It was a little bit delayed because I was away yeah. in Victoria, and then I went to visit you, and then. Yeah, the, the timing was just off, but I, I think we can stay pretty consistent on our, on our schedule. So expect like another update. Weeks, yeah. yeah, yeah. Expect another update a couple weeks from now. But until then, signing off. Dad, have a great weekend. Don't Safe investing. Don't get heat stroke over there. Okay. I'll, I'll, stay, I'll stay cool. Stay in the shadows, in the shade. Yeah, me too. I don't think I really want to go out too much. It's just too, it's just too unbearable, I'd say. And uh, by the way, Brandon, congrats. Okay, thanks, guys. Uh, for those that are sticking around, for those that are sticking around, yeah, pretty nice news. Um, very good, very um, good news. Yeah, what do you call it? I'm, I'm engaged now. She said yes. Uh, if you're following me on Instagram, you guys know all about that. So go follow me on Instagram. But um, yeah, yeah, she said yes. Brad, so Brandon got engaged uh, just this past week, and uh, as a potential, you know, future father-in-law, uh, couldn't be happier. Vivian's an awesome gal, and. Uh, just, just, I'm really happy. And it took long enough. I think back to the days of you guys in high school, and I kept thinking, Jesus, is she gonna stick around? Because yeah, I know that how that works, right? Eight <laughs> so, years, eight years and counting, eight, eight, nine years and counting. So yeah, it's well, long God, enough, that's a but... third of your guys' lives, you know. <laughs> that's pretty much all I remember. But hey, that's that's not yeah. the topic of today's video. Um, let's wrap it up. Thank you guys all for yeah. the support and all the love Thanks, that I've got for that. Thank exactly. you, thank you for tuning in. We'll see you in the next one.